0: We're in chapter 4 of Luke. We're going to look at the first 15 verses. This is the time of temptation for Jesus in the wilderness. Going to see how he handled it and the application for us in it. So, let's pray and dive in. Porter, as soon as you get to your seat, would you like to lead us in prayer? And get and get that swallowed. <laughs> Yes, Penny. No. Okay. Great. Thank you, Penny. Okay, so Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, all the way to 15. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he, and he after, ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man should not live by bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in one moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain... And it's glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him into Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And the news about him spread through all the surrounding district, and he began teaching in their synagogues, and was praised by all. Um, what are some of your observations in this passage regarding temptation? What does the Bible tell us about temptation? Any thoughts? Yeah.
1: No
0: okay, James, the Lord doesn't tempt anyone. Okay. Okay, by our own desires, we're led away. Okay, anybody else? What does the Bible say about temptation? Flee, flee from it. Okay. Why do? You, go ahead, Porter. I'm sorry. Resist. Okay, resist. Okay. Why? Why do you think Jesus? Why do you think the the, the Lord, the Holy Spirit would would allow this for Jesus to be tempted? Okay, to be like the rest of us, to show his humanity, okay. Any other thoughts? Okay. Okay, so kind of a, a training, maybe, a training ground, okay. Okay. Right, Right. Yep. Direct confrontation with Satan.
1: It's also the timing of the temptation. It was after the 40 days of planning. Was it was, wasn't at the beginning when he was strong. It was, okay. it was a, the time of... Most
0: I think the direct confrontation with Satan, and we'll see here in the wording, is that there was the forty the 40 days was it was 40 days of temptation but then we have these three specific things that come at him when and possibly because this would be in his in his flesh this would be where he would be the, the weakest maybe any other thoughts
1: there is no temptation
0: okay Okay, and we'll talk about that as well. Uh, from from uh, There's some couple of verses I want us to look at from Hebrews to show the, the, to what depth his temptation was. Uh, and it's, it's, really, it's really quite encouraging and staggering to see, too. Um, okay, well, I got ahead of myself a little bit. First of all, just, we're moving into the second section. Uh, we've already seen the introduction of the Son of Man. So Christ has been introduced to us by... By John, and now we're going to we're moving to the second section where we see the ministry of the Son of Man. And as we move into this section, we start with his seeing that he's qualified for this ministry. Um, so let's there's a, there's a few verses that come to mind to me when I think about temptation. Uh, one is in James chapter one. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And He Himself does not tempt anyone. So we, when we go through these things, we know that it's not God that's tempting us. Okay? This, is, this, is, this is Satan. This is evil. He's agreeing, Our flesh is agreeing with Him. Uh, or that's, that's, the, that's the attempt, which we'll get to in a second here, of what Satan's trying to achieve. But another passage is in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Now, be careful with that. Okay, so right away we read that, and I think what's a, what can be a common misunderstanding or a common mistake is to think that, you know, he's not going to tempt me beyond what I am able, what I'm able to handle. Well, what can we handle as believers? To what extent? See, it starts off saying, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as common to man, and God is faithful. See, the dependency that we have in going through temptation is not us, but it's the one who is faithful, it's God. And he goes on and says, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape, so that you will be able to endure it. So, uh, So, a couple of things here, with with temptation, we see that God is not the one that tempts, but He is the one who makes it possible for us to go through the temptation. Um, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, to build on what Tom was just talking about, here in Hebrews, it, this was just staggering to me uh, when the Lord showed it to me, talking about Christ and the temptation. Uh, In chapter 2, in verse 18, uh, we read this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. For since he, Christ himself, was tempted, and that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. See, Jesus knows what it is to deal with the temptation. The incredible thing with Jesus is that he knows what it is to deal with it and defeat it. And because of this, he is able. He is the one who is able. Then go over to chapter 4, and in verse 15, we see the depth of this temptation that he faced. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. Chapter 4, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. So we see that, in that he's been tempted in all things, not only does he know about what we are, when we go through that temptation, he does not not only know about it, he knows it. He knows what it is to face that, and he knows what it is to defeat that. Yes, sir. Well I believe we
1: call it
0: the Yeah. Well I believe what I believe is going on here is that we have to remember that though Christ is God, he also and we can't we can't understand this, he also is 100% man. We talked about that some a couple of weeks ago that, you know, he is the son of man. We say he's the son of God meaning that he is God. Well, then son of man means he is man. So I believe he is being tempted and we'll get to and I, and I think as we work through this I, I think there's definitely the possibility that he could do that and as we work through the passage we'll see just how he dealt with that that's a, a great question, great observation because I, I think and that's, that's what we'll be getting at see, we're, we're going to watch Jesus and how he deals with temptation what an incredible example for us and encouragement for us. Okay, any other thoughts with these verses?
1: Yeah, just, yep. Okay. we tend to say well he was god so therefore everything was easy for him you know but i think what he in reality the only difference between he and us in practicality is he wasn't born with a sin nature right but then he received the spirit in a way that it wasn't like this is just he had an opportunity to say no to the spirit the same way we do, but he just chose
0: Well, we see. I think you know he's referred to in Scripture as the second Adam. And and so you know we, we Adam, I don't th- I think I don't think Scripture teaches anywhere that Adam had to sin. Yeah,
1: right. right. Didn't
0: okay. So, I, and I think that's what's phenomenal about seeing Jesus as the man in in, in this in, in this chapter. And how he dealt with it. You know, for the first time since the fall of man, we see a man in Christ living as man was created to live. You know, you go back to that passage, that, that uh, chapter we were looking at in Hebrews, chapter 2. The whole context of that is that m- man is still to live the way he was created to live. But he can't do that. Cor- and that uh, this is all in that chapter, chapter 2 of Hebrews. But it says, but we do see him, a man, who is able so what we find in Christ is the what we find in Christ is the certainty for mankind to live as man was created to live, and a restoration. But let's press on here. Uh, there's a few quotes I have uh, for uh, just of some, some people and what they've had to say about temptation and the believer. First one, you probably recognize this person, and I don't remember when he said this. But I wrote it down, and I'm glad I put his name after it because I wouldn't have remembered that he said it. But uh, Charlie McCall once said this, the yielded life is one that will include temptation. And you know, I, I appreciate that statement because we, you know, we can be, be caught in the trap of, you know, if I'm abiding, if I'm living the way I should, then, this, then these things aren't going to happen to me. And then we're thrown into some just whirlwind you know, thinking, what have I done this wrong? What, what, am, what do I need to do to change this? What is, and we get so fixated on ourselves. And, and what do I need to do? Another statement comes from uh, Tozer. <coughs> and he says uh, To bring our desires to the cross and to allow them to be nailed there with Christ is a good and beautiful thing. To be tempted and yet to glorify God in the midst of it is to honor him where it counts. You see, we've got to remember what we saw from Hebrews is that because Christ was tempted in all things, we got to understand that temptation is not sin. Temptation is, is, is the invitation to sin. And so when we're going through these things, uh, it, how, how do we see it? Do we see the temptation as a failure or do we see the temptation as an opportunity? Tozer goes on and he says in another place, When we see something that we know is wrong and therefore displeasing to God, we can react to it with a positive assurance as we say, God helping me, I will be different from that. In that sense, the very sight of evil can drive us farther into the kingdom of God. And so with this, let's go and look at these verses in chapter 4. First of all, uh, we see that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. But being led by the Spirit, Jesus is attacked. And I don't know if we naturally think of it like that. If I'm being led by the Spirit, you know, if I'm being led by the Spirit, I'm not going to find myself in this horrible situation. But we see, and it's important to see this at the beginning of this chapter, that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And again, what I was referring to earlier, it was that th- this, what he was having to deal with, this temptation was for the whole time he was there in the wilderness. In verse 2, it says, for 40 days being tempted. So, I mean, think of it. Put yourself in this situation. 40 days of this. And he wasn't eating. We know that he didn't, he didn't eat during these 40 days. And then by the end of the 40 days, you know, think about this. You haven't eaten for 40 days. You know, I, I get pretty miserable after a few hours. You know, Arlene can't understand that. I guess sometimes maybe, I don't know, maybe the guy's metabolism is a little different. But, you know, I, I ate 30 minutes ago. Sometimes my family, you know, they're all women. They just, accept, finally we got a guy in the family. But, but they freak out. I'll get up from the table after eating a full meal. I'll get up and go to the kitchen to look for something to eat. And Jesus goes, 40 days without eating. Imagine, imagine what he's going through. Imagine physically and how that, would, how that would affect him spiritually. How it would affect him mentally. If this is true for Jesus, then we must accept that it will be true of us. That being full of the Spirit, we will find ourselves in the midst of attacks. We will find ourselves in temptation. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 30 to 33. In verse 30, If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of The Lord Jesus Christ, he who who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, that Ethnarch, or the governor, under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of of the Damascans in order to seize me. So we know this is right after he is converted. Paul becomes a believer and he's in Damascus. He finds out that they want to arrest him. And it says in verse 33, And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and so escaped his hand. And if you study this, what's going on in in that story when he's actually being lowered down, if I remember it right, this is how they threw the trash out. So he's being thrown away with the trash. That's how he escapes. And think about these things that he's going through. And he says this, this is what he wants to boast about. Staying there, let's go down to the next chapter, in chapter 12, look at verses 7 to 8. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from from exalting myself. Now there's debate over what the thorn in the flesh was, we don't know. But we know what it was was there for. It was to keep him from exalting himself. And he goes on, he says, Concerning this, I employed the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. You know, we're so used to this passage, but do you ever just think about these words? I am well content with weaknesses. I am well content with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I appreciate what Warren Wiersbe said about this verse, it reads like this, when you walk along the shore of the ocean, you notice that the rocks are sharp in the quiet coves, but they're polished in those places where the waves beat against them. He goes on and he says that God can use the waves and billows of life to polish us if we will let him. And you, you know, I mean, think about those times in your life when you had to face some hard things. And what the Lord was able to do with those things, what He was able to do in your heart, what He was able to do in your life, as you yielded to what He was doing, as you were trusting Him. In Philippians chapter three verse eight, it says this: "More than that," Paul says, "I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish." so that I may gain Christ. So we see that the trials, the temptation, that God can take these things and He can do miraculous things with them. How so? We'll get to that. First of all, in the three temptations, back in chapter 4, there's, there's three things I see of how Satan comes at Christ and what his goal is in these, in these trials, in, these, in this temptation? What is he trying to do? Well, first of all, in verse 3, I think he's, he's trying to, to get Christ to take care of this problem himself. He says in verse 3 again, if you are the Son of God, tell the stones to become bread. Hey, come on, if you're the Son of God, you can do this, so take care of it. There's no need for you to be hungry. Take care of it. I'm reminded of the words in Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. We have to be really careful when we're facing temptation. That we're not trying to make sense out of this. That we're not trying to fix this. That we're not trying to manipulate this. That we're not trying to take care of this ourselves. That was my point, Tom, with what you, what, the verse that you had brought forward and we read it just a, a minute ago. is that we need to understand as we go through this temptation as believers we have a faithful God and we can wholly, wholly trust him for what he wants to do in our heart and how he wants to work things out I know when I was here uh, before the 20 years that we were part of the church before leaving uh, before moving I don't want to sound like we just left but um, you know I was an elder for some of those years and one of the biggest lessons I was taught as an elder was by the other elders. When situations would come up, right away I would try to come up with a strategy of how to deal with the problem. The other elders were very consistent and insistent, (laughs) consistent and insistent, that we not get in the way of what the Holy Spirit's doing. Let's give him time. Let's see what he's doing and then let's respond to that. And I I profited from that greatly during the six years I was gone. The Lord kept bringing that back to my, my memory. And if I have time, I'll share some of that with you a little, little later. The second thing I see uh, in his, Satan's goal with t- this temptation is found in verses 5 to 7. And Satan tries to get him to find security from the world. Try to find security from the world. In verses 5 to 7, this is when he leads him up and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world at one time. And he says, listen, worship me. Verse 7, and it shall all be yours. <clears throat> wow. Now remember what he's going through here. He's miserable. His body has gone through a hard thing. And he's been fighting temptation for 40 days. And then Satan says this. But I'm reminded again, Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. We need to be careful that we're not trying to find security in what cannot give us lasting peace. Christ, He is the one that we are to be taken captive by. The third thing I see is in verses 9 to 11. Here... And I think it's interesting because here's Satan. See, Jesus has been using Scripture to combat this. And so Satan will use Scripture now. And basically what he's wanting to do, he says, listen, Bible says this about you. So I think that's how we ought to go about this. And you ought to make sure this happens. So he says, God's will is good, but do it your way. God's will, man's way. There in verse 9, he says, he led him up to Jerusalem. In verse 10, he says, for it is written, See right away, see this is what the Bible says. This is God's will, that he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Isn't that interesting? And you know, I think sometimes we can do the same thing, can't we? We can use scripture. We go to scripture not to hear what scripture has to say, but we go to scripture to find how we can make it say what we want it to say. I'm guilty of this. You know, I, I know that you know. There have been times when, in teaching, I've had this great thought, and how can I make Scripture fit into this great thought? But I've also thought of somebody else who had to deal with this. God had certain will for; he, he had he had expressed his will, and made it known for Abram, didn't he? That he was going to be the father of a multitude, but he was an old man without any children. So. It was God's will. Both he and Sarah understood this. It was God's will, but it wasn't happening, so obviously there's something they need to do. So they tried to achieve God's will their way, and this is the outcome of it, found in Genesis 16, verse 12. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. Everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. And then eventually, as we go through history, you find and eventually the seed of this wild donkey will fly planes into buildings. Will fly planes into buildings. All because it was one moment in time where a man thought God's will depended upon him. We We need to be careful. Because Satan is not just throwing stuff at us. He is very calculating. He has a, he, he, he's, he's purposeful in what he's doing. He wants you to take care of this problem yourself. He wants you to find security in the world and he wants us to go ahead and do God's will but do it our way. Any thoughts with this?
1: Just as you said, there was one time that somebody did man's will God's way and actually it happened day all the
0: time. Yeah. Yeah, 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 we are. We're full of it in our history, aren't we? Yeah, Jack.
1: Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. Yeah, that's somewhere in the book of Kelly, I think. Yeah. Okay, so, getting short on time, so let's see if I can run through this. So, we see that Jesus, uh, uh, how, being led by the Spirit now, how does Jesus respond in these trials? How does he deal with these trials? And I, I think we see it in verses 4, 8, and 12, where he responds to each trial with, it is written, it is written, and then in verse 12, it is said. He responds with God's word. Every one of these passages he quotes comes from the book of Deuteronomy. He responds with God's word. In other words, he says, well, let me, show you, let me show you a passage. Go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and in verses 26 to 28, if you're taking notes, John five nineteen is another passage, but we only have time to read this one. John eight twenty six. I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And now catch this. I do nothing on my own initiative. But I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So twice he tells us in this passage that he speaks the words of God, and he does what he sees is true of his Father. What I do, he says, so Christ is telling us what I do and what I say are not of my initiative, but they are the Father's. And so this is, this is what we see in fleshing out here in this temptation. It is written, it is written, it is said. This is God's response to what you're telling me. In Philippians verse, chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, a familiar passage says this, that we are to have the same attitude in ourselves that was in Christ Jesus. "...who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." I see this and we're told that we're to respond the same way. We're to have the same attitude that Jesus has. Are we abiding in his word? Are we listening to him? There in, if you're still there in John 8, look at verses 31 to 32. It says this, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had, who had believed him, If you continue, and that word continue is the same word as abide in John chapter 15. If you continue, abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Are we abiding? Now, Jesus listened to the Father. What was the outcome of him listening to the Father? Well, the outcome... was that he was led by the Spirit. Verses 14 and 15. Verse 14, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. It's impossible for a man to go without eating for 40 days and then have to face a direct frontal attack from Satan. But we see here that Jesus does. When we think about this, we think about ourselves going through, we say, that's impossible. Not to eat for 40 days? To be confronted directly by Satan? That's impossible. I appreciate what Major Thomas said several times to us. He says, nothing has to be possible. It just has to be right. What is right is what is true. And what is true is God's word. God brought Jesus to the desert. God led him by the Holy Spirit to not eat for 40 days. And so 40 days without food and then have to face Satan. For a man is not possible, but it's right for Jesus because this is where the Spirit has brought him. So what's the result of Jesus listening to the Father? Well, Jesus went on in the ministry of the Holy Spirit by the power. He went on in the power of His Father again by the power of the Spirit. In John chapter 14 and verse 9, Jesus says this, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father how can you say show me the father jesus says when you see me you see the father how is this possible because he only does that which he sees true of his father he only says those things that the father works in his heart he's abiding in the spirit and he lives by the power of the Spirit. And, be, and from this point on, chapter 14, by the power of the Spirit, Jesus goes out, and so the rest of the book is a record of the power of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. So, uh, before I go on to the application I have, does anybody have anything, any questions, any other thoughts that we haven't covered in this passage?
1: resounding throughout Jesus' life, even beyond this, was, uh, we talk about the hunger, but that that flesh desires self-preservation, which is make do, uh, doing it your way, like, hey, make this, he had perfectly had the power to make stone's bread, because then later he multiplied the loaves and the fishes, but that was mm-hmm. God's will at that point. Right. And you look directly after the loaves and the fishes, you have Peter, he described the type of life he was going to, the death he was going to die, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan it was a temptation coming through a follower here's at the height of his popularity Hmm. then he gives the example of unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood and everybody leaves Hmm. and then he's alone he's alone in the garden even the three he took with him are falling asleep and there was the temptation again let this this cup pass for me and then what struck all this for me was the the concept of the angels then Peter cuts off the ear of uh, the The servant and Jesus says do you not know I could call (laughs) of <laughs> so he, he was steeled by the temptation in the desert. And, was, hmm. and yet, when he, he realized he could have called 12,000 angels to remove himself but he was so stealed in the direction to the cross right. for us that he, he he realized he had the full capability of doing that. He chose
0: not yeah, to. That, That's a really good observation. It, it because, I mean, because what's important here is, is it's not so much can he do these things, but is it what the Lord has for him to do? Yeah. And that was one of the lessons I had to learn, you know, when I was referring to being an elder earlier. You know, there, a lot of these things that came up, I think I had some pretty solid plans. And sometimes the Lord even, you know, would go ahead and do those things. But the thing is, is it's it has to be what he's doing. And we need to be listening to him. What's he saying to us? In Christ, we have the ultimate example of how to face temptation. We must, too, yield to the one who is the source of life and not to our own understanding. You know, I was, bless you, I was, um, when we were living here before, that was my dream job. I was at his hill and I was there for 23 years. People would ask me early on, the first year, I remember somebody asking me, so what are your plans in the future? And I said, well, why do I need plans? I'm here. You know, I mean, really, my, my plan was just grow old at his hill. That's okay. I mean, you get old, they're not going to get rid of you. They're not going to throw you out on the street. They're going to have to figure out something to do with me. And, uh, and there's a cemetery right there, so everything's covered. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, and I was, I was really content. It was a dream job. I, was just, I loved it. And I loved being here. I, everywhere I'd go, I'd brag about Bernie Bible Church. You know, I was just so blessed being here and being ministered to by the body here. And, and I, just, I just loved it. I didn't want to go anywhere. But the Holy Spirit began to work in Arlene's heart and in my heart. And it was very clear to us, and it was confirmed by you, that we needed to leave. So we moved away for these six years. And these six years have been trial like I would never have expected, nor can I actually articulate. And it brought temptation. It brought the temptation of take care of these situations yourself, Kelly. And I could hear the elders from Bernie Bible saying, don't get in the way of the Holy Spirit. I had to face the temptation of finding security in what the world could give us. Now, I'm not making myself out to be something, (laughs) because I'm not. But from day one, and I remember this, from day one, having left you, I began to go to the Word and I found myself in those six years in the Word more than I ever had been in my life and I was a teacher at His Hill for 23 years and I taught this Sunday school class for 15 years and being in the Word like I had never been before the Lord clearly started asking me a question, and very clear to me, from day one. I remember where I was that first day, and I remember the question, Kelly, am I sovereign? You've been teaching this stuff for almost 30 years. Do you believe it? Am I sovereign? And I would say, yes, Lord. And then he would ask me another question, very clear. Are you mine? Am I sovereign? Are you mine? Yes, Lord. And then he would simply say, Then abide. Look to me. Listen to me. And I got to tell you, it was six hard years. It was physically hard. It was mentally hard. It was spiritually hard. I was drained. My family was concerned for me because they could see what was happening to me physically. And during that time, now this is where I want to be clear about what I'm talking about. I'm bragging about Jesus here. During that time, as I'm going through this temptation, several people, young men, and even in one case, an old man, just came up to me out of nowhere and asked if I would disciple them. I'll tell you, you know what I'm going through? <laughs> you want me to disciple you. I ended up, uh, uh, I, people coming up to me and asked me if I would pray for them. I got a phone call one day, and this man I did not know said, listen, I was wondering if you would like to come and speak at a men's retreat. And I said, well, Sure. And it was just—it was interesting how he even found out about me. And, and so I said, yeah, I'll come. And, and I didn't know what I was getting into. But it was a charismatic retreat. And when I showed up, it was in the middle of the woods. And they had literally just built their own camp as cheap as they possibly could. They put me in a storage shed with three 13-year-olds <laughs> who decided that since there's no curfew and they're away from home, Two o'clock in the morning is a good time to go to bed. <laughs> I felt like I showed up at Duck Dynasty. Most of the men had the big beards. And they all showed up in their four-wheel drives because that's what re- required to get back to where we were. And do you remember the little sports car I drove when we left? The little crossfire? That's what I was in. I was dragging bottom, getting back there. And I get out of the car, and, you know, I'm, I look like I do now. I get out of the car, and I look around, and it's all these beards looking at me. And, you know, there was, there was some funny things going on that weekend. And when it was over with, these men came to me and they were hugging me. And they were, they were thanking me. As I just simply said, guys, Jesus is sovereign. And you're his. See, only the Lord can put Kelly in the middle of the woods with a bunch of charismatic duck dynasty people. Because Kelly is not going to sign up for that. He has humbled me. And I didn't know I needed so much humbling. (laughs) But I have needed it. This is his doing. And that's what I want to give testimony to. In 1 Corinthians... 1510 it says but by the grace of God I am what I am his grace toward me did not prove vain but I labored labored even more than all of them yet not I but the grace of God with me Philippians 2 3 for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure and Colossians 1:29 for this purpose also I labor striving according to his power which mightily works within me. Jesus has given us the example. Are you living yielded to the power of life? Are you living yielded to Jesus Christ? Are you living in the power of the Spirit? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your gentle reminder today that you are sovereign and we're yours. So we ask for your wisdom, Lord, to listen, to abide, to live the life you've created us for by your power, for your glory, and with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks for listening.